On Easter Sunday, we began reading from the 20th chapter of John's Gospel, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Because we have been living in a world overwhelmed with darkness, our experience brought us into the text. And then John took us deeper. The first day of the week is day one, the first day of creation. And the darkness that overshadows the earth is about to be shattered when God said, let there be light. And now, still reading John chapter 20, it's the evening of that same first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked. Once again, we find ourselves entering into the world of the text, for we too are locked inside our homes. A week later, and we're still inside the house. There are ten disciples. Ten disciples, a synagogue's worth, met in what John clearly wants us to see as a church service, the first day of the week and a week later. Our experience this very day connects us very closely with the early church, small communities, gathering in homes. There were no church buildings, no public worship. And it was in that very room, despite the locked doors and the fear that kept them inside, that the risen Christ entered. I got a call this week on the emergency voicemail at church. A woman whose name seemed familiar was calling her mother was dying and she wanted her to be anointed. So I assumed that she must be at home rather than a nursing home or a hospital. So I called her back, intending to go over and anoint her mother. It turns out the woman was calling from Chicago. She'd remembered me from years ago and was desperate for any connection. I told her about a wonderful principle in canon laws called Ecclesia Suplet. The church supplies. Even when we don't follow the regular order, the church still supplies the grace. Right now, I said to her, the church can't anoint your mother, but your mother's not alone. She's got you, and you're going to be church for her. I told her that I would text her the prayer, a final commendation of the dying. It's a beautiful prayer which begins, Go forth, Christian soul, from this world. In the name of God, the Almighty Father, who created you. In the name of Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who suffered for you. In the name of the Holy Spirit, who was poured out upon you. Go forth, faithful Christian. She was grateful. Half an hour later, she texted back, she prayed the prayer for her mother, who then took a deep breath and breathed her last. It was as if she'd been waiting for someone to come to bless her and send her on her way. It was her daughter who was church for her that day. We'll read the first part of today's gospel again in six weeks on Pentecost Sunday. 
It's Luke who gives us this 50-day account of the Easter season and the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. In Luke's telling, the mighty wind drives the disciples out of the house into the streets where the Spirit speaks a language that transcends misunderstanding. But on this second Sunday of Easter, we are inside the house where the risen Lord enters breathing shalom, peace. We cannot bring peace into the world if we haven't first experienced it within, inside our own hearts. Just as John imagined day one of creation while it was still dark, now John quotes from the second chapter of Genesis, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Here's how he applies those words to Jesus. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Greek is even more direct. Jesus breathed into them. Jesus is creating us anew, animating us with a new spirit, even while we're locked inside the house in fear. It's the first day of the week, the eighth day, or the first day of a new creation. It's the day of the giving of new life. God breathes into us. On that day, The disciples recognized Jesus when he showed them his hands and his side. The risen Christ still bears the wounds, but the wounds are no longer a sign of death. Rather, they are a sign of glory. Through Christ's wounds, we are born again and invited to remember in a new way. The place of the wound is the place of healing. The place of the break is the place of the greatest strength. We want to hide from our wounds, cover them up, pretend they're not here. But the wounds of our lives are the very doorways to God. Thomas will not trust a Christ without wounds because none of us come to Christ except as wounded people. Jesus invites Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Henri Nouwen, in his book, Wounded Healers, puts it this way. Compassion asks of us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion into the condition of being human.